Good morning. This morning I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, it's a, it's a privilege to be here this morning amongst the saints and worshiping you, and I just pray for your spirit to be with us and encourage us um, and, and, and lift up our spirits. I'm grateful for your word. This, uh, your very words have been preserved through the many ages that we can read into it this moment in our lives. Uh, your word is the bread of life. It revives our soul. It nourishes us. I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of that. I'd ask that this morning you would open our eyes to behold the wonder of your word, that we'd see the beauty of your truth. Uh, you, have, you have the words to life and the wisdom um, for us to behold and us to grab hold of. And I pray also that you would open our eyes to the awareness of our own sin, that you would lead us into a healthy confession and repentance and restoration. I also ask that you would guide us this morning in our proper understanding of the Scriptures, uh, that you would, Lord, you, that you just remind us that you are trustworthy, that your plans for us are good, that you would strengthen our faith and you would help us in our belief. Uh, finally, I'd just ask that you'd incline our hearts to walk in your ways, that you would set our desires and our affections on you and the things of your kingdom. And just as we read in Ephesians, I'd ask that you would unify your church, uh, that we would all submit to one another humbly out of your love, that we would speak gracious and uplifting words, and above all, we'd let the, that your love just rule in our lives. We pray this by the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tobins. So with all these fans, and you're sweating now, you're probably feeling the beautiful effects of sweat, and your body is getting hit by that air, and it's actually a little cool now. So um, I'm Chris Madigan. I'm the associate pastor here at The Grove. I've been an elder here for oh, the last seven or so years. I've had um, 
a great opportunity to just be a lay person here. And recently, back in April, got to come on staff at the Grove. For some of you guys that are new here, that's who I am. So welcome. Um, I, I kind of wish, like I grew up in California and I used to have long hair. And I kind of wish I had that long hair, like got Beyonce vibes going on with fans blowing and the spirit moving. And But um, I cut it all off for good reasons. So um, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm not normally the one who's up here preaching, but I am so grateful to be able to get another opportunity to hone this gift of teaching and to be before you. Um, our lead pastor, Lance, is enjoying some time with his family in beautiful California, so I'm living vicariously through all the Facebook pictures um, as they're enjoying 73 degrees and 50 in the evening. So take that and chew on it for a minute. But no, we're glad that they get to take some time for themselves and refresh and be rejuvenated and spend time together as a family. And so I'm excited to be before you. As you guys know, we are continuing in our Empowered series through the summer. We're talking about all things Holy Spirit. And so last week, if you remember, we started a little mini-series within the series um, on the spirit of generosity specifically. And so for this week and the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about how that spirit of generosity has given gifts, spiritual gifts, to believers. So in part one last week, Lance led us through an overview of the spiritual gifts. If you weren't here, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, as I was thinking about that even this morning, I was like, are Cliff Notes even still a thing, kids? I don't know. Maybe it's just Google and Wikipedia now. But uh, when you didn't want to read the whole book for the book report or the test, you would get the Cliff Notes and you would get the gist, children, and then you would hopefully pass. And so I'm going to give you just kind of the snapshot, um, the quick overview of what Lance covered uh, last week. So as believers, we have all been given at least one spiritual gift. These gifts are gifts of empowerment from the Spirit, and they've been given to each and every one of us. And they were given for the specific purpose of being used to serve one another, not for our own gain, but to serve one another, and ultimately to bring glory to God. And then we are called to steward what we've been given well. And so in most cases, as you dig into studying the spiritual gifts, if you've ever done that, um, they can kind of be broken down into three distinct groupings. And so the first one would be there are several gifts mentioned in Scripture that are um, gifts of speech, which is what we're going to be covering today. There are miraculous or sign gifts that we'll be covering, I believe, next week. And then there are gifts of service. And so those are kind of the broad categories that, the, that all the gifts can kind of be boiled down into. And so this week we're going to continue on um, with the spirit of generosity, giving specifically the gifts of speech. And so even this morning I've been trying to pare back what I've had because I have a lot of words. <laughs> um, as we'll see here later, people with a gift of teaching usually have far too many words. Um, and so with it being hot, I'm going to try to pare this down as much as I can so we're not sitting here too long in the heat. But I want to ask you a question and kind of start off with this um, picture in our minds. Um, we're not going to be able to cover everything in depth. And so we're just going to give some broad, general um, overview of these gifts that we see in Ephesians 4. Um, and so that's kind of where we are today. Sorry, my iPad went dark. Let me pull it back up real quick. So today our focus is going to be on the offices of leadership that we see in Ephesians 4 with the gifts associated with them, which are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, question for you. Have you ever just sat and thought for a minute about how amazing the gift of being able to speak actually is? Something we do on a regular basis, but have we ever really thought in depth about 
just how like special of a thing that is. The fact that God has so designed our bodies with a diaphragm that can push air up through vocal cords that are vibrating and creating sound and resonance and that he's given us muscles and teeth and a tongue and lips that can move and shape and form actual words that are intelligible and that can be understood. I don't know if you've ever sat and really thought about that, but this is a beautiful thing that God has done. Speech, I think, is among one of the greatest gifts that God has given. Just think about this. Christians are given the right to speak about ourselves and the right to speak about God. It's an extraordinary gift, but I think the remarkable miracle, the humbling one, it seems to me, is that God will let us say anything. Um, he knows in our fallen nature we have the ability to mess this all up with our words, right? And yet he still gives us the ability to be able to speak. We don't deserve to be able to name his name. We don't deserve to be able to sing one word of praise to him. And so it's a remarkable gift that he would even let himself be known, that he would let us say anything aloud about his truth, the truth of God. So whether it's languages that are spoken in a tongue, or in prophecy, or in exhortation, or in teaching, those are less remarkable than the fact that he has given sinners by grace the ability to speak of him at all. So let us land, let that land on us this morning, and hopefully draw us to a place of appreciation, and to gratitude, and to amazement as we dig in. Specifically this morning, our first point is that the gift of speech is a gift of grace. It's not something we deserve but it's given to us graciously by the spirit of generosity. And so the gift of speech is one of the most precious gifts that God has given to man. Words can be beautifully arranged. They can be spoken to provide healing or peace or comfort. They can be a, a, a way of motivation. Uh, they can be a way to strengthen the listener. But also in contrast, our words have the ability to be a weapon to injure and to destroy. And unfortunately, we all know far too well that we live in a world that really has an unfiltered tongue. Um, and that's probably true of us to some degree, unfortunately, as well. And many are careless. People are reckless with their words. They're irresponsible with their words. Everywhere you look, somebody's texted something or tweeted something or posted something on Facebook or Instagram and, and has spoken things that are hurtful or derogatory or maybe insulting um, or offensive in some way. And so often I think we take this incredible privilege of speech, speech for granted and we abuse the ability that God has given us that ought to be treasured and guarded and used to edify others and to glorify God. Our whole life is to be one of, of worship, and, and the definition of worship kind of boiled down simply is that um, it's the activity of glorifying God in His presence with our voices, with our hearts, and with our minds. And so if we look at verses like Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look at this, teaching and admonishing. Those are speaking gifts. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, it's with our voice, with our words, and hymns, and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So over and over throughout Scripture, it's the testimony of the Word of God spoken, and of those who know God, that speech and our ability to declare the truth of God has profound and eternal and life-changing consequences. 
So as we dig into Ephesians 4 this morning, I think we see if we look in those first verses of chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church as well as us today that we are to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling of Christ. And so then that, that we're able to walk church arm in arm with one another in humility and in gentleness and in patience, ultimately bearing with one another in love. And so Paul tells us we also ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. So I'm grateful for the Tobins reading for us in Ephesians 4 and getting us through it all, but I want to focus in for just a second on verses 4 through 6. And so let's read there for just a minute. And tell me what word you notice that stands out here. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's the word you notice repeated there? You can talk back to me. One, right? What do you think the Lord is emphasizing there, or Paul is emphasizing there? Unity, oneness, and he's giving us this picture. He, in three verses, he emphasizes the idea of unity seven times by using the word one. And so there's an importance here for us as believers that we may have differences of opinions. We may have a, a different idea of how church should look or how ministry should be run or how groups should be coordinated and organized. But ultimately, we can all find unity under this one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. That is the thing that we should be centered around so that we can link arm in arm and go and be agents of change with the gospel in the nations, in the networks, in the neighborhoods that God has placed us in. But if you look at verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So then we go to verse 7 and we see that grace that was given to each one of us, you and I, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So since speech is a gift of grace, then it's important to understand for us why the Spirit gives us the ability to speak and why He empowers certain people in very specific and intentional ways to be able to speak and communicate the gospel. And I believe that that takes us to our next point of where speech is used to equip, to build, and to mature. So the practical working of spiritual gifts offers us actual evidence of the fact that Christ is reigning and ruling right now. We see in Hebrews 10 that after Jesus ascended, it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And so that is a position of authority, and it's a position of ruling, and he is over all things. And so him giving us gifts and calling us to use them and work them out for equipping and for building up and maturing of the body of believers— it helps us to see that, man, he truly is reigning and ruling over the world. And wherever his word is taught and embraced, his reign is manifested to all that are seen. The implications here are profound. So if the Holy Spirit has bestowed gifts on us to equip the saints, that's you and I, for the work of ministry to use so that the world will see ultimately his glory and so that the church simply and practically um, will be able to 
um, share the gospel with any kind of um, fervor and intentionality and that will affect any kind of change. And so we look at verse 12, 13, 14, and 15, and we see just a really simple picture of the gifts of speech are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, and they're also used as a means for maturing us as believers. So in this kind of section of the sermon that we're in, I want to take just a step aside from the sermon a little bit, and I want to just give us a really simple, practical picture of what these different gifts listed in Ephesians 4, we see them listed in um, verses, in verse 11. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You'll hear that referred to here at the Grove as apest. Um, we like to shorten things and like condense them and make little, um, you know, funny quips with them. Um, and so APES is what we'll refer to this as. But I just want to give us a really simple kind of practical picture of what some of these gifts look like, how they're lived out, and then maybe some practical ways that we can see them used in the church. And so let's look at the first one, apostleship. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and in Ephesians 4, we see the word apostle or the, the idea of apostleship. That word apostle literally means sent one, Okay. So I think it's an important distinction for us to make to understand that the actual office of an apostle, we believe, ended when the last apostle died. And the reason why we believe that is because we see in Scripture that the apostles were actually people who saw Jesus and his ministry and work and that he sectioned out and appointed for the work of taking the gospel to the nations. But we don't believe as a church that that means the giftings of an apostle and the working of apostleship has ceased. And we can see that there's all of those kinds of gifts through apostleship used in the New Testament. And so let's go through that real quick. Apostle literally means sent one. So unlike apostles of old who actually saw the Lord and spread the word from place to place, those with the gift of apostleship today usually are people who have a clear vision to start new ministries where others may not. These people usually make really great church planners or really strong leaders and are likely to have the ability to minister even cross-culturally. Apostles may be called to reach out where others may not dare, and they demonstrate abilities to influence others to follow Christ or to follow them as they follow Christ. And there should be a, a slide up here on the screen behind me that just kind of gives us a couple little simple breakdowns of what you might see with somebody with this gift of apostleship. In a word, this person might be seen as a pioneer or a visionary. An overuse of this gift, somebody who's maybe not walking with the Spirit like they should in the operation of this gift, might be somebody who pushes too hard or exerts too much authority. Um, a person with the gift of apostleship might be somebody who has the ability to start new ch churches or like these pioneering type works. And so opportunities within the church where you might see this gifting kind of lived out would be in areas of mission and evangelism and discipleship. The reward for a person with this type of spiritual gifting would be they get to see and establish new ministries and then enjoy watching them grow and flourish. And then with all of these, I would like to also just give us a warning of if we're not walking in step with the Spirit, and yet God has given us these giftings, like we read earlier on in the sermon, we can sometimes misuse these things if we've got our own agenda in mind and not the Spirit's. And so a warning for a person with this gift of apostleship might be 
they're so focused on running ahead, they're a pioneer, they're taking charge and they're moving forward that they might leave others behind and not have a system of accountability. And so if that's you, if you have that gift, this would just be a warning for you. So between this gift and prophets, I want to stop for just a minute. I know there's a lot of new faces here. There's some people who have been part of the Grove, and you may go, I don't even know where the Grove stands on what they believe about the spiritual gifts. And so let me just give you a really quick snapshot of where we kind of stand and land as a church. We would say that we are a closed canon continuationist church. And you're all looking at me going, I don't know what all that means. Um, so there's two kind of camps generally where people land. Lance talks about this last week. The cessationist camp, that they believe that the spiritual gifts ceased to exist when the apostles died out in the, New, in, in the New Testament church and that they're no longer in use today. And there's even people that vary within that camp. They believe some gifts ceased and others didn't. And so there's a spectrum here, right? But a continuationist church or a continuous church would be where we land, and we would believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still given today to believers like we see in Scripture, but we would specify that that, that means that there's no new revelation, right? We believe that the Word of God is inerrant, and so it is complete. The Lord sovereignly has given us this canon of Scripture, and so we hold this to be closed and finished and no new revelation. And so as I say that, let me now get into the gift of prophecy. This could have been both in the miraculous and sign gifts and in the speaking gifts, so I'm going to kind of give an overview of this particular gift, and Lance may touch on this in some more depth next week. But prophets today are not necessarily like the prophets of the Old Testament. Those prophets in the Old Testament, they spoke the literal word of God, and those with the gift of prophecy today seem to have the same seriousness and straightforward um, straightforward attitude toward the truth. They like to share the truth regardless of what anyone thinks sometimes. Uh, they are motivated to confront people today with what they believe is right. And when controlled by the Holy Spirit, the gift of prophecy is a powerful tool for reproof, for rebuke, for exhorting others. And prophets often find themselves pointing the way, declaring specific truth, and standing up for something that's significant. The other thing that's important to mention that Lance mentioned last week, and I'll restate, is that there is usually a telling of something that God has spontaneously brought to mind with a person with a gift of prophecy. This would indicate that prophecy can't necessarily be exercised just at will on your own because it's dependent upon God revealing truth to the person with that gift to then use to equip and build and mature. And so if we look in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19... Through 21, Paul would say, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So if the Thessalonian church had thought that prophecy was equal to God's authority, then I don't think Paul would have ever had to tell the Thessalonian church not to despise it, okay? So let's get down to the practicality. In a word, somebody with the gift of prophecy might be known as somebody who is bold, um, an overuse of this gift when they're not aligned with the Spirit, they might come across as a fighter, right? Um, a, a goal for a person with the gift of prophecy would, yes, to be to declare truth, but also to have an intentional focus on making sure they don't divide, right? 
Opportunities for this gift, and of, of course these opportunities are not exhaustive, but these are just some areas where I see that these opportunities, uh, they, they have opportunities to utilize this specific gift of the Spirit. It would be on a vision team, or as a church planner, as an elder, or some different areas of ministry there. A rewarding thing for a person with the gift of prophecy would be helping others to see truth clearly. And then the warning for a person with the gift of prophecy is to focus on trying not to be too obnoxious and too opinionated. Okay, that's that fighter overuse that you saw there. All right, evangelism. We see this in Ephesians 4. This is the ability to boldly proclaim the gospel message with an exceptional clarity. They feel compelled to win souls. Usually this gifting has an itinerant call with it, like to foreign missions. Um, they desire to be involved in ministries that reach people for Christ. So a question, if you're asking, like, well, I don't know if I have the gift of evangelism, um, it's also a command in Scripture. We might get to that a little bit later. But if you have the gift of evangelism, you might ask yourself, does a person's conversion just bring you great joy? Do you easily turn every conversation that you have with your neighbor or your coworkers back to Jesus? These might be some things that you would see in the person with the gift of evangelism. And so in a word, a person with the gift of evangelism is dynamic. An overuse of this might be that they're too zealous. A goal for a person with the gift of evangelism would be to build disciples and not focus so much on the statistics. Opportunities for this gift to be utilized and lived out in the church would be through a visitation ministry, through outreach, through mission and mobilization. A reward for this person with this gift would be leading people to Christ because it glorifies God. And then the warning for the gift of evangelism would be not to think that everyone should be as dedicated as you are to evangelism. Shepherding, Ephesians 4, 11, this is a pastoral gift. The primary goal of shepherding is to guide, to feed, and to guard. Sorry. <clears throat> the shepherd leads his sheep into fields of grazing. He protects them from wild animals, generally cares for their well-being. They counsel and disciple others. People with this gift find great joy in seeing people mature in their faith, overcome besetting sin, um, to find encouragement in the midst of discouragement so that they are healthy and living out the fruit of the Spirit. They are compelled also to encourage others to work together for the body's sake. A great picture of a shepherd is Jesus when he meets the woman at the well. Um, I won't get into all that. We're running out of time. Uh, so in a word, a person with the gift of shepherding might be considered discipler or a leader. An overuse of this gift, would they, be, they would take advantage of the trust that they have from their flock. A goal for a person with the gift of pastoring would be that they would have strong leadership, but that they wouldn't be manipulative with the authority that they've been given. Opportunities for this gift to be served um, in the church and lived out would be in an elder, as a neighborhood group leader, a deacon, in a care ministry, or things of that nature. Uh, the reward for a person with this gift would be being able to see the ministry that they're invested in and involved in improve. And a warning for this person would be don't get discouraged when um, people, your sheep, don't always follow you just at will. And then the last one, teaching. Thanks for hanging in there. I know this is all just really like nuts and bolts and practical, but I think it's, it's good and it's helpful. So teaching, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, we see this gift listed in all those different passages. Teaching specifically refers to the Spirit's given ability to explain clearly and apply effectively the word of truth. The primary purpose of teaching is to systematically instruct people in the doctrines of the Christian faith. 
to encourage obedience to those teachings, and to enrich the character of the individual by seeking to instill love and faith and other Christ-like qualities in the human heart. There's a call for all of us in Matthew 28 um, to go and to teach people to obey and follow Jesus. We see that in the Great Commission. And so although this is a spiritual gift, we all have a command and a call to go and to speak and to teach and to teach people to follow Jesus. There is a tremendous need in our churches for presenting truth in such a way that it not only instructs the mind, but it moves the will and probes the depth of the Scripture. And so, in a word, this person might be really in-depth, but then the overuse of that is they, they kind of dig too deep. This is a struggle for me. I texted Lance yesterday, and he's like, how you doing? And I was like, I'm nervous, and I only have about 3,800 words in my, like, sermon outline. He's like, oh, good, only about a quarter of what you're going to need. And I was like, oh, <laughs> delete, delete. Um, you dig too deep, and so the, the goal for a person with the gift of teaching would be, man, reveal the truth, but don't exhaust it, right? Let the truth sit. Let the Spirit do the work of revelation in the heart, and, and, uh, and let Him do that work, and we don't have to exhaust the truth. And the opportunities, obviously, within the church would be teaching and Grove Kids and Grove Students, shameless plug uh, for Grove Kids, need, need leaders, um, and in, in growth groups and neighborhood groups and in women's and men's ministry teaching nights and different things like that, these gifts can be used. The reward for the person with the gift of teaching would be knowing that people have learned truth and then their warning would be, make sure not to neglect the other responsibilities you have while you're digging so deeply <laughs> into the Word of God. Um, and so I hope this gives you just kind of a real basic understanding of what some of these gifts are and some ways that they can practically be used. And you may be sitting here going, well, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. And that's okay. Um, we'll get to this towards the end of the sermon, but... Um, there's practical tools out there to kind of give you some framework, and I'll go over those at the end, but, but that's okay. So hang with me. I want to kind of transition into our last point, but I want to take a minute, and I want to tell you a little bit about um, my work before coming on staff at the Grove back in April. I used to be in commercial construction, and I was a, a superintendent of a commercial construction company. And so what we would do is we would go into what we called shell and core or core and shell buildings. That's the big concrete structures you see going up everywhere, and they're just empty on the inside. Companies like uh, that I was in would come in and we would outfit the whole inside of this building and build out the interior so that it was a usable, workable office space. And um, I was a superintendent, and so my role was specifically managing all of our subcontractors and trades to accomplish the goal of building out whatever project it was. And so um, the largest job that I was, got to be a part of was over 200,000 square feet. Um, you'll see some pictures of that here in a minute. They may already be running behind me. This is the Marathon Oil Tower over off of like San Felipe in the Galleria area. This is the largest project that I got to oversee. And then the smallest would be something about 500 square feet in like a school classroom that we were redoing ceilings in. Um, no matter the size of the job though, the point I'm trying to make is that these jobs require specific and special giftings and talents and abilities to be used to be able to create the space. So if you're looking at some of these pictures, they're kind of hard to see. Um, but just the detail in even just one picture, all the trades that are involved, guys to 
where that carpeted area and the yellow chairs are uh, used to be a fountain. And so they had to take out all the plumbing and all the brick and the water um, barriers and all that thing and, and, cre- and re-level it so that it could take carpet and cut the stone out of certain areas and build up the walls. And that big TV screen is 11 foot by 22 foot video wall that had to be installed by some skilled AV technicians. And um, the lighting, and in the background you can see those little origami birds floating off the ceiling. There's an artist that designed all that. And we had to specifically lay out every anchor point for every one of those birds so that there was sufficient steel or wood blocking to hold the weight of them. And so there's, uh, what I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you of how intentional and how purposeful these projects are and how necessary it is to have a body of people coming together, using their gifts and talents to make this thing work and to make it look great. The one thing I want to point out, go back to that picture with the TV on it, um, So what you can't really see is around that whole TV section, that wall is literally a sheetrock wall, and there's a a coating on it that's called Venetian plaster. Does anybody know what Venetian plaster is? Okay, so Venetian plaster is literally plaster and marble dust, if you didn't know that was a thing, and they mix it with water, and then two men, that that wall alone was almost 2,000 square feet. They take a small hand trowel and by hand go from one end to the other in four to, four to six inch swaths with a trowel and they trowel on this plaster and marble dust from top to bottom, end to end. Then it dries for 48 hours. Then they come in and they burnish it and polish the whole entire thing with little hand polishers so that it gets this deep shine and dimension and depth and you get the colors. And so it gets lost in the picture here. But when you stand in front of this wall, it looks like a solid sheet of marble. And it's just amazing. And so the beauty of work like that is somebody has been trained and equipped and has matured in this craft to be able to come in and specialize in making this wall look the way it looks. So when people walk in, this is the statement in the lobby that they walk into. Man, what a beautiful picture of how specific gifts, when used well, can be used to just make the most of a space. So there are many people aligned to the same mission of making this client's vision become a reality. Every single person plays a vital role in that mission. The tradesmen are called on for these roles because they ultimately have been taught, they've been trained, they've been equipped to do the work that's required to meet the client's expectations. If you'll remember, back to last week, Lance read in 1 Peter 4 that as each has received a gift, this is in verse uh, 10, as each has received a gift, we're to use it to serve one another as what? As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So now that we have a good picture of what it looks like for the body to come together and to work in unity and unison to create or to achieve a goal or a task, um, and we have a basic overview of how these gifts are used, I think Paul boils down the purpose and the aim of these gifts to five simple words that we'll see in verse 15. So if we'll look at verses 11 through 16, we'll read there. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting and craftiness in deceitful schemes. But look at this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so the five words that we see in verse 15 is Paul's kind of boiling the purpose and the aim of these gifts down to, man, we should be able to speak the truth in love, both to one another and to the dying world around us. So if we want to be a brief summary of why we need a church and of ministry, of why we need a pastor, of why we need discipleship, of why we need one another, of why uh, we're called to disciple each other, it's these five words. We're called to ultimately speak the truth in love. And the reason why is because speech brings God the most glory when we do this, when we speak the truth in love. In order for us to understand what truth is, we also have to understand the opposite of that is falsehood. And so falsehood is this rebellion. There's this keen emphasis in Ephesians 4 on truth. And so lies, we have to understand, reject this authority that Christ has and the gifts that he's given us to use. But when we submit to the truth, the beauty of Jesus' kingship is displayed to the world. Again, God has ordained for our submission to Christ to come through the help of one another. We all have blind spots. We've been duped by lies. Our perceptions go wrong, and we need biblical community. We need biblical friendship, and we need biblical leadership to help us live out our submission to Christ. And so assumed in this passage, assumed in all of Ephesians 4, is that if we are to live consistent with Christ's lordship in our life, then I need you, and you need me. We need each other. So if we're to live in consistent with Christ's lordship in our life, we need one another. We need to show each other where we have embraced falsehoods. I, I have to humbly consider what you have to offer. And likewise, the reverse. Second, in all these things, God has ordained that our ministry to one another be truth-telling done in love. Tim Keller once said in a sermon um, that truth without love is imperious. That word means arrogant or domineering. So truth without love is arrogant or domineering self-righteousness. Love without truth is cowardly self-indulgence. So we see that both of these are selfish. Rather, we're to speak the truth in love, the truth of Jesus Christ to one another. Such a work, such a balance requires, requires nothing less than the power and the wisdom of the Spirit. So what is truth? The truth is that we're all sinners and we need saving. And that Jesus demonstrated perfect love for us by stooping low to rescue and reconcile us sinners to himself. Man, amen for that. And so any use of the spiritual gifts that God has given us, specifically the gifts of speech that we're learning about today, in an absence of love, is in, inherently will be missing the truth. His love for us is immeasurable, and we must be the driving force behind the use of any of these gifts. So in reflection today, I want to wrap up by reading verses 15 and 16. Let's read this together. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, look at this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. The people standing up on here on stage or the elders in our church, the lead pastor in our church, we are not ultimately the head. Christ is the head, and so we are doing all that we can to submit and surrender to him, and we're pleading with you to follow us as we follow Jesus. It goes back to that one Lord and one faith and one baptism. This is the unity that we have and these specific gifts God has put in place to help shepherd the body, to lead, to equip, to mature, and to grow. So look at this. To grow up in every way in, in him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. I don't know what your idea of church growth should look like, or if it's just all about numbers, or if, man, church is really growing, we have a big building. Um, I, I don't know what your idea of church growth is, but the, the word seems to indicate, Paul seems to indicate here that the body will grow and build itself up in love when we are using the gifts that God has given us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to go forth with the gospel, and to share it with other people. So I'm not sure what your thoughts are on a sermon uh, like this. I, I look out there and I see a lot of you that I have an idea of what I think your giftings are because I see you serve and I see you uh, living those gifts out. And I know there's a bunch of you I don't know how God has particularly gifted you. And so there are helpful resources out there. Lance mentioned one last week, but it's, it's called Spiritual Gifts with an S, Spiritual Gifts Test. Dot com. And so there's resources like that out there where you can go and take a test and get an assessment done and, and kind of give you a ballpark or an idea of some different areas um, where you might be gifted. But please remember that these are, yes, helpful tools to give us some guidance and suggested areas where you might be gifted, but they're not scripture. <laughs> they're not authority, right? And so sometimes the best way to figure out how God has equipped you and how he's gifted you is just to serve. Like you see a need and you go meet it. And in the middle of that, you're going to go, you know what, there's a need in the kids area and I'm going to go teach and I'm going to go lead. And then you get in and you're like, I don't want to do this. And there also may be just some humility on our part to go, I don't want to do this, but the Lord has equipped me and I'm going to use it. Or it may be that he's going, yeah, actually I've equipped you for something different and this isn't where I, I've most equipped you to serve. And so sometimes just getting in, uh, especially in a church plant like this, we're going to have to tear down today after several weeks, and we're going to need everybody's help to pick up chairs and do all that kind of stuff. And Lance said last week, um, if you don't think you have the gift of chair, you have the gift of chair. Everybody can use their hands to help, right? And so there's just a practical element of like, man, I'm going to figure out where I'm gifted when I just get into the minutiae and, and all the little um, inner workings of the church and just serve in areas uh, where I see a need. So, the last thing I want to leave you with is um, we send out an email every Saturday, and last, uh, yeah, on this Saturday, Carissa wrote the email. Man, if you didn't read it, go back and read it, but she has some really great questions that she's been processing um, about the spiritual gifts, and I want to leave you with two of her questions um, from her email yesterday as we wrap up today. The first one is, how can I use the gifts, the spiritual gifts, specifically the speaking gifts maybe, that God has given me? to serve and edify the body and spread the good news to those who hear it. And here's the one I want us to leave us with. We need to think through what gifts are we actually aware of that we possess that we've intentionally pushed aside out of fear or out of church hurt or out of burnout. 
what, what gifts are we just kind of like stashed off in the corner? It's like, man, I have an ability to do that, but you know, really, I got burned by the last church, and so I'm going to sit it out for a while. And that may be where you're at, and that's okay. There's a season for that, right? But I think God has equipped us in a way that we're going to have to fight through it and depend on the Spirit and learn how to continue to serve and use the giftings that He's given us, not for us, not necessarily just for the grove, but for the edification of our Father in heaven. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, I am grateful um, for the opportunity to teach and to speak truth this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, this is not something that I ever want to take lightly. As I said this morning, um, the fact that we can even speak and that we can even say your name is is a gracious gift from you. Lord Jesus, it's one that um, we don't deserve, and yet you have seen fit to bring us in to your making all things new in this earth, and you've not left us alone in that. You've chosen to use us, and you said, you know what, I know you can't do it on your own, and so I'm going to specifically equip you in ways that you can't do these things without me working. And so, God, what a gracious gift. What a mercy that we... um, would be able to have a God like this that we can depend on, that we can remember that we're not alone. Lord Jesus, I stand before you this morning just confessing that there's a lot of areas that I have come to realize even throughout my study in this that I've just let lay dormant or I've not used because of past hurts. Teaching is one of those. I was burned a long time ago. And I was questioning things that I was learning in Scripture, and and I had a leader around me that just wasn't gracious and wasn't kind. And the reality is that there's grace and mercy for him, just like there's grace and mercy for me. And so, God, in humility and in confession, man, would you forgive me of where I've allowed these gifts to just kind of lay dormant, things that I've pushed aside out of fear of what people might think or what they might say or how I might stumble over my words or people's opinions of me if I get up on stage and try to teach. God, in your grace and mercy, you've ordained this day and the people in this room, and so we're grateful for that. God, we are ultimately grateful that you don't give up on us, that you've seen fit to rescue us, to redeem us, and to bring us into the fold. And so that is what we are forever grateful for. And it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.